Welcome to Unbooking the Tankatari, the bonus series from Unbooking the Territory, where we look at the ups and downs of Tank Abbott's career. I'm going to give you the chance of a lifetime there, Doug Dunger. I'll let you come out here and take a shot on me. Wait till he finds out what's behind door number one. Something down the road at the Silverdome in six playing to an empty house. Because the real deal is here. Oh, here he comes. Get that fat duck ass out here. I'll tell you something, Mike. He's not done yet. This man, Tank Abbott, is making a name for himself. How are you this week, Dan? Uh, well, just as we were saying off air, I am sleepy, a little bit confused, and ever so slightly hungover because we're recording the day after we recorded uh, a full-blown episode of UTT, but we recorded on a school night, and uh, it turns out I'm uh, I'm just getting a bit too long in the tooth for drinking on a school night. But other than that, I'm good. I'm looking forward to getting into some more Tank Abbott. How are you, mate? I'm good. I keep telling you, just don't believe in hangovers. It's a lot easier. Yep, I try not to believe in them, and they do fucking exist. <laughs> it took a bacon and sausage butty and a bottle of iron brew this morning to shift it. Oh, well, any excuse, really. And to be fair, I was running around just before this recording. I thought I'd be late because I couldn't find my bottle opener, which was an absolute emergency. <laughs> that that would have been an absolute tragedy, but I'm sure you'd have improvised something. Well, I do have some cans in the fridge, but... Uh... No, I particularly wanted to, uh, well, just get on to what we're drinking. I particularly wanted to have this Golden Drac Classic from Brewery Van Stielberg. It's the Belgian triple. I had its big brother, the uh, quadruple, the other day. It's 10.5%. It's so it's nice. It's nice. And then I've got, uh, if, if we go that long, although these could be shorter episodes, I've got Far Pure, which is a citrus double IPA from uh, Bermondsey Brewery. It says it's uh, punchy and tropical, so 50% mm. like Town Cabot, and that's 8.3. <laughs> oh, the tenuous links are back. I'm on an absolute stunner to start off with. It's Brew York's Salted Caramel Tonkoko. Salted Caramel, Coconut, Cacao, Tonka and Vanilla Imperial Milk Stout. And I've got to be honest, I've only had one swig of it, but it could well be a five. It is wow. that good. It's a lot of salted caramel. Well, I was going to say beers, but a lot of salted caramel. Anything you don't get the full, the full taste of it. You know, and it's you know, it's like a you know, like any sort of drink or anything like that. This gets it so spot on. It's unreal. Oh, sounds good. Sounds good. I'm sure I'll get round to it. I'm normally work my way through all of Brew York's production, so. I bought three cans of it, so I might be able to set one back for you. You can, have, you, you, you can have a night just absolutely fucking ruining your life with that and the uh, the 17 percenter I've got stashed away for next time I see you. <laughs> Superb. I've still got that uh, 14 percent from the, um, was it the Nightmare on Elm Street range that Brew Bre- York did? Oh, the, uh, the Freaky Franchise series. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so. Is that the spicy one? No, I've had the spicy one. I think that was the 15 percent one. I think this was, I can't even remember. I, th- I think it was more, more in the line of one of the Amundsen's, maybe more of a dessert-type mm. flavouring. Shall I get on to it shortly? So this fight that we're uh, reviewing today, it's Tank Abbott versus Jerry Flynn. And it's going to be a second wrestling match. We're not counting that sports entertainment UFC match on Friends that we reviewed <laughs> last time out. 
Yeah, it was good though, wasn't it? Seeing him on Friends, being all big it and was. scary. Yeah, you, you sort of forget he's on there. I just when he took his teeth out and uh, laughed, that was brilliant. I kind of wish they'd made that a feature of all these fights. I don't know if it, if he it was actually taking his proper teeth out or if it was just for TV. But if it was like if he genuinely has front teeth missing, he should have done that for every match. Yeah, he should. He should. Wrestling sometimes doesn't want to appear, you know, as realistic and gritty. But yeah, that that would have been brilliant. So this match is from an episode of Nitro from the 20th of December, 99. And on this show, because it's not one that we actually reviewed, it is one that I actually did watch while we were going back reviewing episodes around this period. Because it's the last time that Piper's going to be on Nitro. And right. just even if you just watch this episode, just watching the Roddy Piper bits, it's well worth it. Piper brings his son uh, there to beg for his job in front of the powers that be. And then later on in the show, he's smashing up the powers that be's office. Um, he makes a speech in front of the first locker room about how wrestling promotions just use up people and leave them. And you've got to look after yourself, that kind of thing. It, brilliant, brilliant performance from, from Piper. Um, I, nearly, I, nearly, I nearly did actually go through and watch the Piper segments, because, but it was just getting a bit too late when I was making yeah. uh, making my notes for this. It's well worth it. Other things that happen, the wheels are put in motion to start NWO 2000, get a Bret Hart versus Goldberg match, continuation of the Buff Bagwell, DDP, Kimberly storyline, Love Triangle, whatever you might call it. I mean, I, I thought that was absolutely brilliant, that uh, Oh, they went on the face off, and then they yeah. did like the, the the five minutes plus just talking in the ring, and it went over way over the counter time. Yeah, yeah, that that was great. That was, and we got the Jersey Triad exploding with DDP versus Canyon versus Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> oh, the Jersey Triad. Canyon does seem to sort of roll around uh, the uh, mid card in quite a few different gimmicks at this point uh, in his career, doesn't he? Yeah, it's not quite as good as when he was trying to uh, trying to flog his book. Oh yeah, it's not, I need to get a copy of the uh, audio book read by Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> we need to get sponsored by Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> I think at this point we'd probably have to. Is he alive? I, I, I in our hearts, Dan. <laughs> uh, no, he, uh, Ernest Borgnine died in 2012. All right. Well, <laughs> he was he was 95. Fair enough. So. Obviously, we'd seen the no contest against Meng last time. They'd, the match had rumbled backstage. They'd gone into the block. They'd interfered in the middle of a match between Norman Smiley and Jerry Flynn. Meng's going to go off and chase uh, Norman Smiley because he had the audacity to uh, get in his way. And Tank Abbott and Jerry Flynn have a bit of a brawl, and that's led us to tonight. Or at least and that's Norman, the reason. Norman Smiley, Norman Smiley had the audacity to biff men with the uh, the American football helmet. He did. It, it wasn't a brave move, and then he spent the rest of the show hiding, and Men was trying to sniff him out like a sniffer dog. In your possibly your favourite segment of everything we covered. Yeah, he's up there. So that's the reason in Kayfair, but in reality, we're going to need a bigger a bigger reason to uh, put Jerry Flynn in this position. So. Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara are going to log into LinkedIn and look at the qualities that Jerry Flynn might have to have uh, got him into a match against Tank Abbott. So Jerry Flynn has a black belt in Taekwondo and he was actually employed as a Taekwondo instructor in Tampa. Legit badass then. Yeah. 
he trained in wrestling under Boris Malenko. Oh wow, fair enough. I never, yeah. I've never actually looked into Jerry Flynn, but that's uh, that obviously makes him uh, it lends a degree of credibility. It does lend a degree of credibility, but then he goes on to wrestle in FMW in 1989, where he befriends Horace Hogan. But who? Horace Hogan. Oh, Horace Hogan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so now he's uh, he's like he's Hogan adjacent and all the credibility is out of the window. Well, quite possibly. But we will see Tank Abbott in the same ring as Horse Hogan in a uh, 20-man battle royal coming up later in the run. So we, we may well be talking about Horse in the future. Tank versus Horse. Who wins? I mean, if Horse Hogan's in the match, it's never Horse, is it? For some reason, I just thought of that, and all I could flash back to was GCSE history when they were talking about how in the First World War, some of the Polish army was still on horseback and they were trying to use cavalry against tanks. It could have been like um, that Halloween Havoc uh, where there's uh, Hulk Hogan versus the giant in a monster truck match on top of Cobo Hall. Oh, fucking, that was so bad. I haven't chosen it, but, well, it'll have gone out by this point, but uh, when I went on Bang Bang, the thing that Andy's doing now is picking something. You've got to do something in history from the week that you're on the show. Uh, and that was that was one of my options. <laughs> I, I didn't choose it, but uh, I, I could have done. He, he might have punched you through the screen. <laughs> so um, between 1991 and 1993, Jerry Flynn goes and works for Japanese shoot-style promotion pro wrestling uh, Fujiwara Gumi, which is formed by Masakatsu Funaki and Minoru Suzuki. Okay, bit of Suzuki adjacent stuff. There's some of that credibility coming back. Yeah. And he goes on in 1991 to wrestle at the SWS Super Wrestle in the Tokyo Dome in front of 61,500 people. Bloody hell. I never had any idea about this with Jerry Flint. To me, he was just a big martial art, you know, he was just a giant dude, a martial arts guy that, you know, he's essentially WCW's Nathan Jones. Yeah. Yeah, and I, th- I think the fact that he is a martial arts guy is probably one of the reasons that you do want to book him early on against Tank Abbott. Mm. You know, he's, he's maybe got some credibility. He, although, can, handle, he can handle himself <laughs> if, uh, if Tank gets a little rough. Although for a, a few months in the summer of 95, Jerry Flynn goes to work as a jobber in WWF. He has uh, matches against John Pierre Lafitte, Rad Radford, The Roadie and Waylon Mercy. Wow, that's... Uh... Yeah, yeah, and he should have really been using this time to train for his one and only uh, MMA fight that he has in October. Uh, did he lose it by any chance? He did. He lost it by submission to Fred Floyd. And, I mean, when you go on Wikipedia, Fred Floyd isn't hyperlinked. It's just a name. <laughs> he lost to a non-linker. And <laughs> unless you're Floyd Mayweather, the names Fred and Floyd aren't exactly... The toughest name's going. Well, that wasn't what Jerry Flynn was thinking when he was tapping out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he signs for WCW in 1996, and initially he's sort of working on the sea shows. He's working on Worldwide and Saturday Night. 
I think they had a little bit of an attitude of what happens on Saturday night and worldwide stays on Saturday night and worldwide. <laughs> yeah. we'll, keep, we'll keep that to the, to the Saturday morning with the cartoons and all the other shit. By the time 98 rolls round, he's stepped up to Nitro and he actually ends up working a series of competitive matches, albeit losing, against Goldberg. Oh, right. I've never actually seen them. No? Well, shocking, so, I've not seen that much WCW, but I'd have thought Jerry Flynn had, have, if there were competitive matches, that they'd have that would have at least come up, even if it was to see how bad they were. He obviously must have impressed, because by July 99, he's actually offered a three-year contract at $150,000 a year. Well, little did he know he wouldn't see that out. No, but... At least not in the way he expected. (laughs) Although, I guess that says that you can have four and a third Jerry Flynn's for the cost of a Tank Abbott. (laughs) I'd rather have a Tank Abbott. Yeah. In 1999, he works a shoot fight rivalry with the cat after Sonny Ono and the cat attack him and they cut off Jerry Flynn's hair. I think I did see, I'm sure I've seen some of this just, you know, when you're just somebody, you don't know what to watch on the network, so you just settle on, you settle on, right, I'm going to watch Nitro, what year am I going to watch? Uh, 98. What am I going to watch? Uh, that one looks like an interesting thumbnail. I have heard Buff Bagwell describe this match as truly awful. I can imagine. <laughs> then Jerry Flynn has a uh, heel turn and he joins Jimmy Hart's first family, but he has an injury which sort of cuts that storyline short. Mm. And then in November 99, just before this period, Jerry Flynn and Hoovertoed Guerrero get arrested for DUI. Not ideal. Not ideal. So how do you punish someone for getting arrested for DUI? Push them. Well, give them a match against Hank Abbott. <laughs> It's kind of a push. He doesn't have to work a long time. No, he he doesn't. But I I do kind of like the idea that Jerry Flynn's at least got a shard of credibility hanging around him of being a legit fighter. Mm. It's exactly Um, the kind of guy you need opposite Tank Abbott. You need someone tough. You need someone who's got that, that shoot fighting background and someone who can... Just like I said, just hold his own with the strikes. He looks like he knows how to block stuff and he's blocking stuff. When we get into the match, it's, it looks a bit scrappy in places, but then if you've ever watched any MMA or any boxing or anything, it can get a little bit scrappy. Not everything's clean. Yeah. Well, now's a perfect time to talk about the match. They actually promote this as a no-holds-barred match. Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, again, I, I broke my golden rule. I saw it was no-holds-barred and I thought, ooh. <laughs> this, this, this might this might be fun, but then I remember the week before and how disappointed I was. So I was like, no, 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 bring yourself back down, bring yourself back down. I think to be fair, it's part of an on. It's, it's clearly part of an ongoing story. Last week was just there to have this inter, you know, this coincidental interaction with Jerry Flynn. Now we're going to go into this match and maybe you're not going to be able to get excited, but maybe that's because there's more to come further down the line. That is exactly what I was going to bring up um, later on. It, it this Watching this match and realising what they were doing retroactively makes the Meng stuff uh, more palatable to me. Yeah. Because when we watch that episode in isolation, that's exactly that's obviously how I have to take it. I have to take it as I see yeah. it. And broke my golden rule of getting my expectations up. And as we know, <laughs> the key to happiness is low expectations. <laughs> 
But once I realised that, well, this is one, this is how Tank is going to conduct all his matches at this point, and two, it's actually building to something, then it was uh, it made it a lot better. Yeah, yeah, at least they've got a plan in place for him. It's not just having matches for the sake of it. So the match starts off really hot. Jerry Flynn's throwing kicks, Tank Abbott's throwing punches, Tank backs Jerry Flynn into the corner, shots to the body, that kind of thing. And then the referee tries to uh, break it up. Why would you? It's like it's a no-hold-barred match. What, what's going on here? I mean, the, the only thing I could liken it to is in boxing when you have fighters that they get close, there's a bit of holding going on, but then you try and give them a chance to work to work their way out of it, but eventually you'd have to step in and break them apart. That's the only thing I can think of is that it just ended up in a, it was in danger of just ending up in a bit of a cuddle and going nowhere. So the ref just wanted to get his right fight again. Yeah, but Tank Abbott doesn't doesn't take any of that shit and just throws the referee to the floor. And that did laugh because I, I I would put my money on that not being part of the plan. I don't know because we get a very similar sort of setup again. You know, the, the fight in the back in the ropes, Tank sort of blocking shots from uh, Jerry Lynn, and he actually catches his leg. Uh, the referee tries to break them up again, and this time they both throw the referee down. Yeah, that's just Jerry Flynn going along with it. He thinks, fuck it, I'm not going to argue with Tank. It was amazing how, how much the referee bounced across that ring, though. <laughs> well, two, two big bastards just shoved him, over, shoved him over. He's going to fly. Yeah, it, it was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, they, they, they go back to brawling, but then two yellow shirts of security run down trying to stop the match. Yeah, that wasn't the smartest idea, was it? No, there was only two of them, so... Tank and Jerry Flynn dispose of them. Then two more run in. So Tank and Jerry Flynn dispose of them. And then eight <laughs> members of security and Doug Dillinger run in. And I was waiting for Tank and Flynn to just completely mess them up as well. Because I just think it'd be great. Just there's a pile of bodies, and then Tank and Jerry just decide, you know what, we're going to have a go at each other again now. Well, uh, as we're going to progress through this storyline, and we know from the episodes we've covered on Unbooking the Territory that. Tank Abbott is going to go on to have issues with uh, Doug Dillinger, so this is maybe the start of that as well. (laughs) (laughs) Waddling his duck body down to the ring. (laughs) Well, that was missing, because what you need... The only thing that could have made that better is if you'd have had Steiner and Tank doing in the ring at the same time, with Tank doing his duck impressions and saying, "Get get your fat duck body out of here. And Steiner couldn't have gone, I'm going to beat your fat asses. <laughs> that would have been brilliant. What's more dangerous than Scott Steiner with a live pipe? A duck call. <laughs> oh, dear. Then we get the big pull apart. Yeah, and then Doug Dillinger actually handcuffs Jerry Flynn. Yeah, that one. Why have you got handcuffs? You're just a security guard. You have no power of law enforcement. Why do you have handcuffs? And two, I don't know if they were piped in or not, but there were actual boozes that got pulled apart as well. Yeah, no, the, the crowd were well into this. Bobby Heenan says there's nothing like hitting a guy while he's handcuffed. And well, actually, Jerry Flynn hit the first cheap shot. He did. Before yeah. he got handcuffed, he, he started the cheap shots. But then Tank escapes and just KOs Flynn with one punch while he's handcuffed. And it was so brutal, it even got a lugs replay. Well, do you hear what Tony Schiavone said? He said, uh, no. 
He said, well, this man who was thrown out of ultimate fighting, boy, he's one of the toughest I've ever seen. Uh, I don't know why they handcuffed Flynn. Maybe they wanted to stay away from Tank Abbott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm good. I missed that. That's a great call. I'm with you though with Bobby Heenan when he, you know, when he said it was a great, you know, it was a tremendous move, KOing uh, Jerry Flynn when he's handcuffed. Like if it's got if it's got the Bobby Heenan seal of approval, it's good enough for me. During the Lugs replay, Bobby Heenan said Abbott nails him with a good old Greco-Roman sucker punch to the yap. <laughs> that was fantastic, Greco-Roman sucker punch to the yap. Yeah. It, it Although now I'm remembering, no, just saying yap gives me yapper uh, flashbacks. Oh dear. I'm going to stay well away from that. Mm. So that was if, effectively the match. Uh, tanks 0, 2, and 0 at this point. <laughs> yeah. But he's undefeated. He's still undefeated. He's, he's not managed to finish a match yet. <laughs> he, can't, he can't lose a match if it never finishes. No, and I guess, you know, the, the promoting this angle that he's been thrown out of UFC for, you know, ungentlemanly conduct or whatever, so why on earth would his matches finish? Exactly. It's, and, you know, they brought him in, they said he's a tough fucker. They have him stand up to Meng. I remember something in the uh, the Meng match where, where Tank shook off a head, shook off one of Meng's big headbutts and they yeah. made a big deal of it on commentary. Nobody's ever done that. So that yeah. you know, set the stall quite early, and then he, he's gone into this match with Flynn, who Flynn's doing the whole block stuff at the time, you know, just open to all challenges or whatever the fuck it was. And he's coming in, taking it to Flynn, and then KO'd him while he's handcuffed. So it's really, it is really building him just as this just madhead, loose cannon, violent, just ball of fuck you. Yeah, and, and commentary are absolutely selling that story. Oh, they're all over it, yeah, doing a really yeah. good job. Because yeah. it was just uh, it was just Shiavoni and Heenan, wasn't it, in this match? Yes, I believe it was. Yeah, yeah. Which that is one of the <laughs> Heenan, the greatest of all time, and Shiavoni. Uh, I've always liked Shiavoni. I think he's one of the yeah. best of all time as well. Yeah, it was it was, it was a good combination. Yeah, and the WCW, as we've said before, we, we've loved Scott Hudson and Larry Zabisco on some of the episodes that we've watched. But yeah. yeah. It's, I've, I've said before I normally prefer a two-man booth, but if you're going to have like a WCW three-man booth for me, it'd be Heenan, Heenan, Shivoni, Hudson, with Zabisco as an honourable mention. You know, if you wanted to do one half of the show with one and one half of the show with the other, rotate out Hudson and Zabisco. Yeah, I think they liked, and it really sort of worked on Nitro when the second hour hit and they brought Larry Zabisco in because then he gets his like, you know, middle of the show pop. Yeah, he gets it his living legend. crowd back up, doesn't it? Yeah. And, you know, the Larry chants and everything. So that probably would have been a good idea. So what did you think to this segment or Tank's outing on this episode of Nitro overall? I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was, um, it, like I just said, sold him as, a, as an absolute nutcase and violent hard bastard. Did exactly what he needed to do. The crowd were into it. It was a really good pull, you know, a really good pull apart. They didn't overegg the pudding with it, you know, with them going breaking free and going after each other a million times. It was just one each and one man's down, which sets up the angle for revenge. And, and like I say, watching this made the previous match against Meng the week before retroactively better because you see now that it's just part of the whole thing. Whereas viewing yeah. the other match in isolation did it no favours. Yeah, couldn't agree more. 
thank God, because we're doing a podcast series on it, but I'm invested in the storyline going forward. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be a really crap series if we hated everything up until he joins three camp. <laughs> well, I was just about to say where he goes next. So his next match is on the 21st of December, 99. It's on Thunder, so this could be our first experience of Thunder, will it? It'll be, if I watch it all the way through, it'll be the first time I watch an episode of Thunder all the way through. I've dipped into the odd match here and there over over the years just to see something. But, yeah, it will be my first proper Thunder experience. Yeah. And Tank Abbott is going to face La Parker. Oh, my God, that is a match made for you. Yeah, it's, it's going to be very exciting times. Let's hope that La Parker plays the chair like a guitar at very least. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that now. Yeah, that's, well, we, have, we don't know what it'll be like, but it'll be interesting. But also, on the same episode of Thunder, we, we talk about Worldwide and Saturday Night, you know, what happens there stays there, although yeah. something being elevated from there, because Three Count are going to make their quote-unquote main roster debut. Oh, wow. Do we have to look at that as well, then? Well, I, I don't know. I mean... Tank Abbott won't really be involved with Free Count at this point, but uh, it's just kind of notable that Tank's there and Free Count's there, and obviously they'll have a big future together. Could be a bonus within the bonus. Yeah. Well, we can have a look. Yeah. So. <laughs> and if it's shy, we just won't mention it. <laughs> so definitely the Parker, possibly Free Count. And Rob will just shit himself with glee because he loves both of them. Let's hope. Fingers crossed. High expect. Oh, no, Dan. No, we're going into the high <laughs> That's the first thing we can possibly do. We're breaking rule one of them, booking the territory on them, booking the tanker territory. Don't get your hopes up. Yeah, just remember the whole way through, the Parker isn't dressed like a skeleton. He is a skeleton. <laughs> That'll make it better. Thank you for listening. What a cheap shot that was by Tank Abbott. Real I guess cheap. we shouldn't be surprised. Now the man who was thrown out of ultimate fighting. Boy, is he one of the toughest you've ever seen? Or if, I don't know why they, they handcuffed Lynn. Maybe they thought we better stay away from Tank Abbott and not handcuff this guy. 